Good morning to you all. And if you're new with us, just want to extend to you a special welcome. Thank you for joining us here at Red Mountain Church. Uh, you are our honored guests. And my name's Charles. I'm one of the pastors here at Red Mountain. So please do, if you're up for it, please do come up and say hi to me. I'd love to meet you. Um, and uh, uh, if you share your name with me, you may have to repeat it several times before it sinks in. But I would, <laughs> I would just still love to meet you. And we've been uh, on a journey over the last few months looking at the life of Peter. And it's been a fun one, but we have arrived at the final sermon in the series before Advent starts next week. And what I want to do is land the plane on this series by looking at the several healing miracles that, that Peter participated in. You'll find them all in Acts. And the first one is in Acts chapter 3. It's what precipitated the text we looked at last week where Peter and John landed uh, on trial before the Sanhedrin. And the second and the third miracle are found back to back in in chapter 9. And I think that when you put all of them together, kind of look at them sequentially, you'll find some similarities really jump out, both uh, between the miracles themselves, but also between the miracles Peter performed, and the miracles Jesus performed. And so one of the things that I just really want you to get to see here is that Peter is somebody who experienced healing himself at the hands of Jesus. And so when we look at these stories, we're looking at someone who received deep healing from Jesus become an agent of Jesus' healing in the world. And so that's what we're looking about. That's what we'll be talking about. Uh, I'll read the first story from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. And then I'll jump over to chapter 9 and read verses 32 through 42. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, But what I do have, I give to you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let me jump forward here. I should have brought the bulletin up here, which has it all there. Okay, here we go. Picking up in chapter 9, verse 32. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. 
And now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. And she was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for these words of yours that you've given to us. And I pray now that you would be at work uh, helping us to trust them, to learn from them to be edified by them, that that we would hear your voice through them. And I pray, Lord, that most of all, you would help us to see our Lord Jesus at work healing the wounds that we bear. Give us this grace and help me to love these friends well and to honor you as I speak. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So rookie mistake I made uh, a week ago. Uh, It was a parenting mistake. I was in Walgreens with my boys, and I was headed to the back, and without paying attention, I I turned and led them right through the candy aisle at Walgreens. Anybody made that mistake? Like, you find yourself there, and you're like, how did this happen? Um, They were totally cool about it. Uh, It was actually me that was surprised, because right in the middle of the aisle, there were candy canes, and it just kind of grabbed me. It took me by surprise. Oh, that's coming. And right next to the candy canes were red and green Hershey's Kisses. And right next to those were those, oh gosh, I love these things. They were those strawberry flavored hard candies, you know, that are kind of hard on the outside and soft. And, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Those, I love those things. And I began to wonder, how early is too early, right? <laughs> like, that's the question. When is it too early to get, like, my boys are not done with their Halloween candy, and I'm not done with their Halloween candy either, <laughs> but, but how early is too early to buy those strawberry-flavored uh, Christmas candies? And th- that's the debate, right? I mean, every year, that's the debate. How early is too early to start listening to Christmas music to fire up that beloved Mariah Carey's Christmas special that y'all love to debate whether Die Hard is actually a Christmas movie. Like, when is it okay to begin these discussions? And, uh, and some people have really strong feelings about these things. Like, maybe it's not till after Thanksgiving or, or whatever. And I don't have strong feelings about these things. I think it's all fun because that's often just, it's all just a reminder that there is a season coming that is pointing us toward happiness and is pointing us toward joy. But as much as that's the case, we also have to acknowledge that even though for some the holidays mean the coming of happiness and joy and celebration, there are many for whom the coming of the holidays means sadness and difficulty and despair. 
Saturday Night Live has made a whole business out of this. Every year there will be a video that goes viral that so many people resonate where they are pointing out ways that the holidays can be difficult for people. And it could be just like becoming reacquainted with old family dynamics. It could be being reminded of something that you wish weren't true but actually is true. And usually what it is is it's becoming reacquainted with wounds that just simply haven't healed yet. And so while for many the holidays can mean, you know, gathering and joy and laughter and good food, for many of us it's a reminder that we are walking wounded with a longing for a healing, for some kind of healing. And I would just submit to you that these stories that we looked at just now are only as profound to us as their ability to point us toward a greater healing, the healing that we all long for. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning, is the healings that we receive. And I want to work, to it, work through it uh, a few different ways. Uh, the first thing I want to do is talk about how these stories speak to our need for healing. And then I want to talk about the work of healing. And then finally, I want to talk about the result of healing. Our need for healing, the work of healing, and the result of healing. Uh, I think when you put all these stories together, I think we see each one of them is actually speaking to our need for healing. First, because we see in each one of them that there is just a pervasive need for healing that's common. By that I mean there's nowhere Peter can go where he doesn't encounter people who are in need of healing. Notice that each one of these stories happens in three different cities. And the first one happened at the the base of the temple, uh, the temple stairs at the gate leading up to the temple. And uh, he he performs uh, a healing there for a lame beggar. And then it appears that Peter became known for having this unique ability to administer healings because later on in chapter 5, you see that people were bringing out their sick and, uh, and they were like laying them on cots by the side of the street with hope that maybe Peter's shadow might even pass over them. And so what we see is that wherever Peter went, there were lots of people that were kind of coming out of the woodwork with need for healing. It was pervasive. The second healing was in the town of Lydda. This is important. Uh, Lydda was a strong Jewish community that had some Gentile presence. But then the third healing comes in the city of Joppa. Joppa is near present-day Tel Aviv. It's very close to that. I'll give you an idea where it is. But back then, that was a very strong Gentile presence there. So one of the points that, it's, that we're seeing here is that the wounded body is a ubiquitous reality that exists both in people Uh, And as much as it is pervasive, it's also normative. Uh, Look, these are three very different types of people that Peter heals here. The first was a man who begged for alms. He suffered this condition his entire life. This was something he was born into. Uh, The second one was a man that we don't know much about. His name was Aeneas. That's a Greek name that does tell us something. We know that he struggled with paralysis. He was bedridden for eight years because of his paralysis. And then finally, Dorcas must have been just a wonderful and lovely woman. Her name was Tabitha, which meant gazelle, translated into Greek. That's where you come 
with, uh, with Dorcas, and that tells us that she was gracious and, uh, and, and, uh, and beautiful. And the, the passage tells us that she was generous with acts of charity. When Peter came to her house, there were all of these widows that were standing there wearing, either wearing or displaying tunics that she had made for them. And she is the only one whose faith is actually mentioned in these stories. And you know what we don't see in any of these stories? This is important. That there is no rebuke for their condition. Their wounds weren't traced back to foolishness or sin. No one was shamed for their condition or for their need from healing. The suffering from wounds is understood as a normative condition in the world. And it's important that we see how powerful these wounds are. Notice the severity of each wound increases as the story goes on. For, from someone who's weak in, in ankles and feet and can't walk, which means he can't provide for himself, to someone who's paralyzed and bedridden, to, to the greatest wound of all, the wound of death. All of those are mentioned there, and each wounded person was helpless to help themselves, and nobody around them could help them anyway. The wounds were so powerful, and each one had arrived at a place where they knew that if their wounds were healed, Jesus was going to have to have something to do with it. And I just say that the Bible is really honest about this. The Bible is really honest with us about our condition. And about our need for healing. And it tells us that from the beginning, we have a need for healing that no medicine, no technology can touch. And the wounds on our bodies are but pale imitations of the wounds on our soul. And it's just true. We know it's true of you and it's true of the person sitting next to you. And sometimes it's because of something we have done. And, and sometimes it's some, because of something somebody has done to us. And often it's both. But these wounds can scare us, can they not? They can be, hard, they can be really hard to look at. We can, be, we can be ashamed of them. Or we can seek to hide them or, 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 or just trying to figure out how to cope with them as we move forward in life. We can develop the practice of learning to ignore them altogether as if they don't exist. But the question I just want to ask you is, do you, do you know where you're wounded? Because one, one of the presentations of Scripture is that we're, we're all dealing with wounds of some kind and they all operate with some kind of power that guide how we live life. Do, do we know where those wounds are and how they guide us? I would just submit to you that if you don't, then it's going to be just very hard to understand yourself. And I would also submit to you this, that it'll also be very hard to understand what God is up to in your life. Because if you want to know where the Holy Spirit is, look at your wounds. That's where you're going to find them. The Holy Spirit is about your, your flourishing, your healing. And that's where you'll find him at work in you. And here's something else. There's no reason for shame when you think about your wounds. 
There's no reason for shame. In fact, we are a people who somehow, for some reason, we follow a wounded Savior. And, and he still bears the marks of his wounds on his resurrected body. That, that uh, when Thomas was doubting, he looked at Thomas and said, here, put your, put your hand in my wounds. And I also know that somehow, it's by his wounds that we are healed. That Jesus is the wounded Savior who heals each one of your wounds through his wounding. And that's the thing that should just leave us dumbstruck. That his sacrifice on our behalf is the key element in our one day eventual healing. And so for those who belong to Christ with faith, here's the thing. You get to look at your wounds and say to them, they have an expiration date. Because somebody else was wounded on my behalf. And if you're wondering if God is up to the task with you. It, because it, be, it, can be, it can be so easy to look at our wounds and think, I'm beyond reach. Is it possible to heal me? If you're wondering if God is up to the task to accomplish your healing, then you need to look at the very work of healing that he's about in these stories. Look, each one of these stories is very different, but they're remarkably consistent each time when we see Peter at work accomplishing healing in these stories. And it starts with his availability. Peter is never too busy for any person that needs his healing that he comes across. Not once. Uh, it, the first one is really striking to me. He's going up to the temple. It's the hour of afternoon prayer. It says it's the ninth hour. It's about 3 p.m. And I need you to picture this. Peter is simply moving along with a crowd of people going up those steps on the way to the temple. Lots of people would have been moving this way. And so it's strategic that Elaine, there were many beggars that were out there. It w- that would have been a good strategic place in order to be able to beg for alms. Because almsgiving was an important part of Jewish worship. Uh, so you, you kind of catch those people as they're going and they're, and they're generous with you. But when Peter stops and he gets the, the beggar's attention and says, look at my face. He is moving against the movement of a crowd. And he's creating an inconvenient moment. He's forcing an inconvenient moment. And none of that seems to matter to him. Because there was somebody who was in need that was right in front of him. He made himself available even when it was hard. And I'm sure that was true of the the second story. But the third story is also amazing when you look at that. Uh, it, it, the, he was because he wasn't even in the same town. The Dorcas, when she passed away, she was in Joppa. Peter was in Lydda, which was about eleven or twelve miles away. They send a couple of people urging him to come to him. They urged him. They pleaded with him. They said, "Please come to us without delay." Is what they say. And what, then, what does the next verse says? It just says that so Peter rose and went with them. But he just stopped whatever important work that he was doing and he got up and he went over to the other town. There was no delay. There were no questions. He just heard there was a need and he made himself available. He, 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 he operated with that kind of availability. And then what we see it, it, uh, uh, as another consistency is that we see Peter's faithfulness. That in each story, Peter is very careful 
to demonstrate that it's not his power that's at work on these people's behalf, but it's Jesus's power. When he was with the beggar, he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, he's very clear about this point, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. When he was with Aeneas, he said, Jesus Christ heals you. And then when he arrived at Dorcas's bed, he knelt down beside her bed and he prayed for her healing. Each time he's making the same point. He's saying, it's not, it's not, this is not me. This is not, I'm not healing by my power. This is Jesus's power who's healing you. But even more than that, his healing work is also demonstrating that Jesus's ministry is continuing. That the work that, this is important, the work that Jesus was about in the world did not stop when he was crucified. The work that Jesus was about in the world did not stop when he ascended into heaven, but was continuing through his appointed apostles and the building of his church. If you looked at these stories and thought, these look very familiar things Jesus did with Peter. Well, you, you would be on to something. In John chapter 5, Jesus heals a paralytic man, and he looks at him, and he says, rise, take up your bed, and walk. Almost identical to what Mark said. The, one, the, the healing Dorcas's resurrection was also very similar to Jesus raising Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5. That one's really fascinating, because the way that went was Jairus' daughter was sick, and Jairus went to, a heartbroken father went to plead with Jesus to come heal his daughter. And Jesus is on the way. She passed away by the time he, uh, he got there. She was in an upper room. And he puts everybody up. And he looks at her. And he says, little girl, rise up. And you know what that would have been? Tra- literally, he would have said, Talitha Kumi. Now look at verse 40. What does Mark say? Tabitha, rise up. Or Tabitha, kumi. Almost identical. There's, a, there's, a, there's an important point being made here. That the work that Jesus began is continuing through the building of his church. That there are those who are healed became agents of healing in the world. And there's, there's a big thing that we have to understand here. And you, because you might say to me, I'm not Peter. And you're not. You're not Peter, okay? The, the expectations that Jesus put on Peter as one of his apostles are not the same, okay, as he put on you. He entrusted him with a, a special and important responsibility and power as one of his apostles. There's this story... Um, God, this is crazy. Where uh, Cornelius Alapid, I've never met the man, he's an old commentator, but that's where I found this story, where Thomas Aquinas went to uh, visit the Pope, Pope Innocent II. And the Pope was counting out a large sum of money. And the Pope said to him, you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say silver and gold have I none. To which Thomas replied, true, Holy Father, and neither can she say, arise and walk. What what was he getting at? Uh, He was acknowledging that Peter was entrusted alongside the rest of the apostles with a special apostolic power during an important time immediately following Jesus' ascension. 
And while we're not apostles, we're not, I want to be very clear on that point, we are commissioned with the continuing ministry of Jesus' church. That there are works that we are called into. What did Peter say? Silver and gold have I none. But what I do have, I give to you. A pastor I really love said, these miracles are both literal and parabolic because the spirit-filled church dispenses more than care for the body. It brings healing to the soul. You and I, with the help of the Holy Spirit, are commissioned agents of healing as well. In your families, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in your cities, wherever the Lord has put you, with whatever he has given you, you are called to bring the same healing that you've experienced, that you are currently experiencing, to bear in the lives of the people around you. That is who we are. And that is what we do. We, we too should be able to say with Peter, what I do have, I give to you. And if you are wondering, what do I have to give? Then I will tell you, you have something of immense value to give. That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you right now have the, the spirit of the most perfect, beautiful and complete man who ever lived. The Spirit of Christ is in you, and that same Spirit that is in you at work healing your wounds is calling you to go to work that others might be healed to. That this is a work of healing that's being done upon us, and we can trust that work, but it's also one that we're called to participate in. And you might be wondering, where is that going to take me? And and it'd be easy to ask the question, what is that going to cost me? But it's important that we're laid out, we're given some of the results of that kind of work of healing. We see a a short term and a long term here. The short term is faith and wonder in astounding ways. Look at verse 10. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. We're talking like revival scale faith and wonder. Verse 42. It became known throughout Joppa and many believed in the, in the Lord. They didn't see Peter. They saw God at work doing something nobody else could. And they turned to Jesus in faith. And that is wonderful. That's what we long for. As we minister, as we hope, we, what we're hoping for is are those who would turn to Jesus in faith. That's, 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 uh, that's our hope. But we also see a long-term outcome that's just astounding. And I owe, I owe Michael Carr a debt of gratitude because he wrote about this and pointed something out I hadn't seen. He said that there's an important different, difference in understanding who Jesus is that's contained in, uh, in, in a significant difference between his raising of Jairus's daughter and Peter's raising of Dorcas. And once I saw it, I couldn't stop seeing it. Because what happened was is that Jairus went, with, went to Jesus and pleaded with her life and it, uh, pleaded for her life. And at that time, she was sick. She hadn't died yet. 
And when, the, when he was on the way to, to their house, servants came because she had passed away and said, don't bother the teacher any longer. There, there's nothing else he can do because she's already passed away. And in this story, what happened with Dorcas that it wasn't until after Dorcas had passed away that they actually sent servants to go plead with Peter to come. There was this spreading understanding that not even death was more powerful than the power that Jesus operated with. They believed Peter could do it because Jesus had done it. And every work of healing points to a greater healing. The healing that we all long for. And every time we participate, whether it's for ourselves or for those around us, we're pointing to the one who is about the work of healing. And the wonder of it all is that God calls you and me, broken people, in process all the time, to lean into his work with hope that the one who promises it one day will finish it. I'm about to tell you a story that's going to be, I, I, need, to know, I need you to know that um, I know that I'm speaking to a bunch of, of musicians in this room, <laughs> excellent musicians, and, uh, and, and I'm married to a musician, and she thinks this story is somewhat apocalyptic, okay? Uh, doesn't know if it's true or not. I will tell you that uh, I found it several places on the internet. Maybe it's not, but uh, it's about Niccolo Paganini. He was a famous violinist. Uh, and he was known uh, for just being an amazing musician. And uh, one evening, he was standing before a packed concert hall. He's in Italy, surrounded by this Italian audience. And of course, he's playing beautifully. Um, and many, many are just kind of hanging on his every note, every note. He's playing these really incredibly difficult pieces just beautifully. And when he came to one of his very favorite pieces a violin concerto, shortly after he began, as his audience is leaning in closer and closer, one of his strings snapped. And everybody gasped. And then he, uh, but he kept playing. He didn't stop. He started improvising and making lots of music with only three remaining strings. And then shortly after that, another string snapped. And he only had two strings left. And they thought maybe he'll just set his violin down, but he didn't. He just kept going. He kept playing beautifully, making an amazing amount of music with just two strings. And then shortly before he was done, a third string snapped. Would you believe it? And they said he finished playing so beautifully, he played more beautiful music than one string with one string than most musicians could accomplish with four. So there are times I think it's easy to look at these stories and think I'm still so wounded and I'm broken and I'm longing for healing and and for you I want you to say that healing belongs to you through Jesus that your wounds won't last forever that there is healing through Jesus. And some of it we won't experience this side until glory. But it is promised to you. And I think it's also easy to look at ourselves and wonder 
as we're being called into participating in, in Jesus' work of healing in the world and wonder how much he could ever use me. And it would be so easy to look at the church and think of it as a, as a kind of a broken instrument and wonder how God could use a congregation of broken people struggling together to accomplish beautiful things in the world. But when we look at Peter... We are looking at Jesus taking a broken instrument to produce some of his most beautiful music. And yet, even though we are all broken, Jesus is hard at work making you beautiful too. How do I know this? Because by his wounds, we are healed. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, you who are at work now, you who are at work then, and you who are at work now, I pray that you would continue your work amongst us. I pray that for those of us who feel our open wounds, now or this time of year, that you would be at work healing. And I pray that you would help us call our attention to ways that we can serve. And I pray most of all that you would nourish your people with faith, that you would warm the broken heart and that you would draw those who don't yet know you into faith in you. I ask these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King, our Rock, and our Redeemer. Amen.